Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Nick. And this is our review of Congo, starring Laura Linney, Dylan Walsh, Ernie Hudson, Tim Curry, Grant Hesloff, and Joe Don Baker. Based on the novel by Michael Crichton, directed by Frank Marshall, released in 1995 on a budget of $50 million, grossed $152 million at the box office. So not a uh, box office dud like uh, Relic was, but uh, also of note, nominated for several Razzies, which I'm sure mm-hmm. we, will, we will get into, um, because, yeah, Congo. You know, first off, I watched the wrong thing. I, I watched some Harry Belafonte shit, so I watched, I watched Congo. I didn't realize this was a monkey movie. So, uh, <laughs> so we're, we're in trouble. But <laughs> seriously, okay, I, I knew this was a Crichton property, and it, it goes into our kind of loose fit uh retrospective here of 90s monster trash <laughs> if you will but have you ever read the book i have not neither have i so uh, i have unlike last time i have no point of reference for the book so if anybody's listening and and you can tell us about the book facebook it or, or tweet at us about it because we well we otherwise don't know yeah i'm not a big uh michael Crichton fan per se um Red Jurassic Park, it's it's a good book, but I uh, also read The Lost World. It's not a good book. And uh, that's basically where my Michael Crichton uh, knowledge ends. So I guess maybe I'm not in the uh, right to say whether he's a good author or not. But um, The Lost World just left such a bad taste in my mouth that I never decided to pick up his other works like The Andromeda Strain. Uh, I think Sphere was another one of his. Um Eaters of Man, I believe, was another one, which was also made into another movie, uh, the one with Antonio Banderas. What was that called? Uh, uh, 13th Warrior. Yeah, 13th Warrior. Yeah, I've seen, I've never read it, but I've seen Timeline with Paul Walker about the history students that go back to the fight the the French Napoleonic War or something like that. So it's. Yeah, yeah. and then, you know, I think he also was a big part of um, ER. When that was yes, there, yeah, it? yeah, he was a he was one of the creators of VR and a big driver behind that. I mean, Crichton's yeah. known for you know these scientific based books. Like, there's some bit of science fact because he, of course, was a medical doctor and a scientist and a researcher. And I remember the few books of his I've read. This wasn't one of them. I have read Sphere and Jurassic Park and and Prey and. I think I read part of Timeline and Airframe, but those are the other ones. But they always come with like an an appendix or a foreword that's like a science paper that you have to read to sort of understand, this is the thing I'm basing this on, and now we're going to be MacGuffining it, you know, and that's what he Mm. uses. And some of that is useful, like in Jurassic Park, all the genetic sequencing stuff is good to know because it teaches you something, and you're like, oh, now you can buy it a little bit more. But sometimes it's... It's a little much, and I, let's say I didn't read the book on Congo, um, but I did see this movie when it came out in theaters, strictly strictly on the walk up to the thing and go, huh, that looks fun. Michael Crichton, yeah, that's, I, that's Jurassic Park, and I walked in the theater. Yeah, this was heavily, heavily marketed as being uh, the author of Jurassic Park, and uh, actually I saw a special sneak screening of this movie when I was a kid. Uh, me and my dad went, we used to be part of some like critics club thing either one of us were critics obviously but uh still not but um is uh 
yeah, we used to get these movie passes all the time. Like I remember seeing like Titanic, like uh, three weeks before that came out, uh, saw Congo, a few other ones. One of the worst ones I ever saw, which was probably the best Quentin Tarantino that he, movie that he's ever done was actually It's Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say this. I saw Congo and, and like I said, I walked out of the theater and I just thought, yeah, you know, I, I didn't like it then and I have not seen it again until this retrospective and i watched it twice for this so that i could feel like i got it nice Uh, and i and i loved it when i saw it when i saw it as a kid i absolutely loved this movie i used to like uh kind of do like reenactments with my uh gi joe figures because you got to remember i was like you know what what year did this come out 95 so i was yeah 95 i was like 11 years old so (laughs) you know what i I think if I had been 11, I would have dug it too, but because I could see the 11 year old me doing that with GI Joe and, and Star Wars figures. But I was 18, and I, and I was like, oh, oh wow, what a hard piece of crap, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, it was not, it did not hit my sweet spot. But we'll get into it. But I think this movie is extremely watchable. So, but. Why don't we get into the plot summary? So uh, why don't you hit us up with that? Yeah, I'll see if I can do this. I'll make this one kind of short, okay? Scientist and former CIA operative Karen Ross, played by Laura Linney, is sent by her employer, Jodon Baker, to the Congo in order to find the whereabouts of his son's missing diamond hunting expedition. Son played in a hilarious cameo by Bruce Campbell. Led by an expert guide, Monroe Kelly, better known as the Black Ghostbuster, Winston, Ernie Hudson. Ross and a search party, including primatologist Dr. Peter Elliott, a treasure hunter named Homolka, played by everyone's favorite transvestite, Tim Curry, and a gorilla, Amy, played by people nominated for Rassies, who can communicate through sign language, encounter a dangerous pack of gray gorillas in the heart of the jungle. Eventually, they find the diamond mine, and the pack kills Molka. Uh, while Amy holds off the pack, Ross fits a large diamond into a portable laser gun, because those are really convenient, and fires to ward off the gorillas, cutting several in half. A volcano begins to erupt, and the remaining searchers escape, while the pack of gray gorillas are eaten up by the lava and realizing all her boss cares about is the diamond ross destroys the satellite uplink throws the diamond away and escapes with monroe elliot while amy goes to live with a pack of mountain gorillas and credits roll and that's that's the quick summary of congo there's about 50 minutes there in the middle that i just skipped because nothing that happens there matters at all so you could watch the first 20 minutes of this and just you know scrub on your netflix till you see something that looks like a cave stop watch the last 15 or 20 and you got it ah but you're gonna miss so many of the classic elements of this movie by doing that (laughs) classic you say we shall get into this we've had a a, as we teased in the last time you and i've had a running facebook debate about congo since before you were even a part of this podcast i think this (laughs) is what actually got me to be part of the show this is like you know, you guys saw me and saw my uh, Congo swag online, and you're like, we got to get this guy involved. <laughs> yeah, and the first thing we did was saddle you with uh, Blair Witch 1 and 2. So, <laughs> so I'll never it's, forgive you for that. It's taken, it's taken four years to come back to this, but uh, we're now doing a little full Congo. circle. It really, we really have. We, we The circle is complete. Now the, the training is done. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of, you could sum this up similar as you mix a little sci-fi with a little gorilla sign language and a little king solomon's minds and you get this turkey i mean that's really what this movie is and i again i don't know the book but from what i've read about the book that's pretty much how the book reads too mm-hmm. yeah I, like i said i don't know much about the book um still i 
Actually, you know what? After doing this, I actually might go back and read this book just to be able to see what the differences are. Because my, my, you know, looking at this through adult eyes, I want to know what the, the studio had thought when they optioned this book. I can only imagine that this book was actually optioned because of Jurassic Park, where it was like Jurassic Park, Michael Croydon, what else can we pull from it? I know that they already did the Andromeda strain. Uh, was that back in the 80s they did that? Yeah, that's so right. So I think uh, really as far as like monster Criterion books go, or Criterion books, not Criterion, Criterion books go, is I think it's Jurassic Park and Congo, because I think the other ones, a lot of them don't really have to deal with monsters per se. So I guess I can see on that regard why they picked it, but still I'm very curious to see what the actual uh, meat and potatoes of this book is. So maybe I, I'll have to do a little uh, follow-up later on that. That would be interesting. Though. I do know one thing that's not in the film that is a part of the book, and that is there's a competing expedition going at the same time as this expedition is. And that's something Crichton does a lot. There's always like two ticking clocks or two people racing against the ticking clock in his books. He likes to do that. And for for economy's sake, I'm sure they decided to cut it down. I mean, look, they spent $50 million on this movie. And, and in 1995, that's not chump change by any means. And they made their money back off of it. I mean, they got what they, what they wanted out of it exactly. But I think you hit the nail on the head. The reason this got turned into a film is because Jurassic, Park had come out and just slayed the box office and changed, you know, everything. And so kind of like when, uh, you know, uh, The Firm was a big hit, every, you know, John uh, uh, Grisham book forever was getting, you know, optioned into uh, a movie. And it seemed like forever. The book Congo came out in 1980. So I mean, he was 15 years old by the time they got to a movie. So I think that's exactly what happened. Somebody started flipping through his uh, book over and said, "Ah, we don't want to do it in Drama Strain again. Can't do that. Can't do that. Let's do the monkey one." Yeah, and they just kind of went with it. But no, do, doing monkeys is cheaper than doing dinosaurs too. I mean, they've been doing monkey movies for you know since Charleston Heston uh, was you know before he got all crazy with his guns. Those those <laughs> damn dirty apes. I mean, yes, they come back again. Or I guess these are gorillas, so I should be pathological correct. But yeah, uh, Paramount, you know, all involved in this. And this, I mean, this rings true of let's try to cash in on the the genre, right? I mean, and that was the thing. We talked about in the 90s, it was all about how science could could do things we'd never done before and kind of like the Ian Malcolm character in Jurassic Park. It's, we didn't ask if we should. And, and Hollywood decided to do that too. And so, yes, we need some science mumbo jumbo adventure movie. And I, I remember Roger Ebert loving this one though, because he said it was a, it was a great jungle adventure and you just didn't see those anymore. And I said, yeah, there's a reason for that. <laughs> you know, nobody cares. And then I just, I, I guess I had a, I had a bump up against that, but we'll, we'll talk about that as we get Come into on, it excited for the new tarzan movie i am i didn't even know there was one but i'm yeah, disappointed just by you telling me about it yeah i think there's a new tarzan movie that's coming out and then of course you got the uh live action uh remake of um the jungle book coming out so. oh that's right that you know my high school did the jungle book as a as a theater production one year and it was pretty impressive and i've never felt the need to see it again so i i'll always think of those those people in the uh in those roles now so uh not, none of which i actually even talk to anymore so and are probably not listening to this podcast so i've just wasted a minute talking about them but let's get into the movie here and and the the start here is great we went karen ross our our lead if you will and what do you make of laura linney i mean what do you think about her uh more attractive helen hunt i think you said that last time too that's not a bad comparison
thought that you were going to jump up off of that. My bad. Oh, you there? Up, oh, I'm here. Sorry about. Okay. I don't know what the hell happened. No, that's okay. No, I don't think that's a bad comparison. I think it's what you said last time too. And she's she's all you know, right. This, you know is, what? this is leading us up to doing Twister, and I think the next movie we have to do is Twister. I'm just throwing <laughs> that up there now. Yeah, you know, I, I like Laura Linney in the right thing. I, I think that's that's the trick for me. I, I don't. I, love, e- I don't even know who she is. I have mean, you ever what seen other movies that she's been in? Have you ever seen Primal Fear with uh, Richard Gere? Uh, no. Okay, well, we might have to do that someday then. She plays opposite of him in that. She played opposite of him again in The Life of David Gale. No, that was uh, Kevin Spacey, my bad. Uh, she's worked with gear and other things, too. I can't remember off the top of my head. She was in, oh, gosh, uh, what was the name of that, uh, the movie about the um, the farmer that went west? And Hold on a second. Son-in-law? Hold on, I was getting a real weird scratch in there, so let me just kind of redo all of that real quick. Um, uh, I think I fixed that as short, so let me mark the time so I can plug all that. Yeah, you had asked uh, something about going out west, and I said son-in-law. Hold, hold on one second. son-in-law don't don't mention son-in-law again so, <laughs> okay son-in-law. yeah well i mean on the show okay <clears throat> laura lenny's <laughs> been in primal fear with uh richard gear she was in the truman show she played the the wife you know the actress wife not the one he okay. was chasing she's in the mothman prophecies that's another one with gear she works with richard gear really well she's man in the- you know richard gear really well man hey i like oh, gear Exorcism of Emily Rose, if you've ever seen that. It's one of her better no. performances. I mean, she's been in a lot of stuff. She's, she's good. She's a good dramatic actress. This is early in her film career. Like, she had done a couple of things before this, and then I didn't really... Does she always uh, play the no, the no-nonsense uh, female yes. like, executive? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. She always plays this no-nonsense female empowered woman. And that could be an executive. She could be a lawyer. She could be a history professor. But she comes off like a smart woman. Like Remember I talked about last time that Penelope Ann Miller, yeah. I bought her as a scientist? I buy Laura Linney as a smart businesswoman. Now, what I have a problem with is when we're then told that she's also Jane Bond. You know, like, she's a total badass, too. She can wield guns. She can hit African warlords in the nuts from behind, and they don't know it's coming. I mean, she's she's like a, a female Bond, almost. And that, that feels a little forced with her, because I just don't buy her as physical. Like, she looks like she's, you know, she could handle herself in a boardroom, but I don't know that she can go out and, you know, trape through the jungle. She kind of reminds me of a younger Joan Allen. That's a good one, too, yeah. Yeah, so uh, maybe Joan Allen should play the mom of Helen Hunt and uh, her in a movie someday. <laughs> they, well, they think Helen could play their mom at this point, the way she looks. But uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, we do meet her in the opening here, though, and we get to meet Jodon Baker. This is one of my favorite character actors. I mean, Buford Pusser, he was the you know, Chief Carlin in Fletch. He's, you know his face if you've seen him. He played in a, in a couple of Bond movies. This guy is hilarious to me, and he is like the... Most one note corporate greed guy. I mean, you bought him right out of central casting. 
Yeah, he's not the dad from Son-in-Law, is he? <laughs> he is not the dad from Son-in-Law. So he, but he looks like that guy, but he is not the yeah. dad from Son-in-Law. Okay, just wanted to get that out there. So good to know. So yeah, I mean, we open up with them. You know, they're they're doing this trans uh, transmission over to Africa, and you get to talk to Ash himself, Bruce Campbell, as he's uh, relaying it back and forth, and you find out that Bruce Campbell is this uh, telecommunication mongrel's. Uh, son and he's over in some african safari looking for some diamonds so i didn't know that diamonds are used for telecommunication did I, you or I, maybe maybe that is real i, I don't know all I, I know is that i my iphone sucks that's all I, know yeah, phones. I didn't know that either uh i've i've heard about you know cooperating diamonds into a lot of other things but using them as some sort of catalyst for better wi-fi signal is just not not something I thought they could be used for. Now, again, this is this may be part of the science that we're missing here. Uh, and I'll say this. This movie does a really poor job of trying to explain any of that. At least in Jurassic Park, they give you enough of an explanation. And they do it in Sphere, too, and other Crichton movies. They give you enough of an explanation that you kind of get what it what it's about. But, you know, they, they don't belabor it too much. But this one, they don't even bother with it. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's very weird. And man, that uh, CGI uh, satellite shot is it's bad. I mean, oh, that yeah, that does not hold shot. up at all. Yeah, that, that, did look, not that looked up. like something from PlayStation 2 days. So. Ooh, oh, no, like the single PlayStation, man. That was the, the gray days. That was not even close. That was that was bad. That that may have rocked the Sega Genesis even. It might go back that yeah. far. I was thinking like something like uh, Jaguar. Remember that? <laughs> yes, yes. So along those lines, and maybe yep. your travel com is that. I, this is the question I have though. They want these diamonds because it's gonna revolutionize the telecommunications industry in some way. I suppose. I mean, what's so special? But that's the thing is like, what's so special about these diamonds? I mean, I know. Talk to any woman. Talk to my wife. Not all diamonds are the same, but I guess I I, I don't know if um. You know, if the you know they don't really put any type of importance upon these diamonds here. I mean, I would have bought this more if this guy was just like a, you know, some type of person who handles jewelry or something is looking yeah, for yeah, like a museum you know, something. or something. Yeah, like yeah. they like they like they've heard rumors about these diamond mines out there, and you know these are all ready to have, and it's you know that you know the clarity or just something like that. But I guess they're you know it's Crichton, so they're trying to add some type of scientific angle to well, it. Well, no, this it's, is it's, this is Crichton. It, this is Crichton's yeah. thing, though, is because you have competing scientific ideals here. That's what this is all about. It's the, the people that want to try to corrupt nature for their own gain, for financial gain, and then you've got juxtaposed to the primatologist who's used technology to not only teach an ape sign language or a gorilla sign language, which is something that they do and that you know, can be done, but later on she gets like a power glove and it makes voices for her. So, you know, Peter yeah, loves Amy slam. and all that all yeah. that stuff. So and that's the, now this is a scientist using science for good versus the using science for evil. That's what they're beating you over the head with. But, but, but really is using diamonds to increase humankind's, uh, you know, communication distance is that really evil i mean i can see something like with dinosaurs and bringing them back to you know life and everything like that that being you know evil or you know man playing god but you know dude long distance phone calls back then kind of sucked so oh, they do oh, they did yeah they cost a lot of money no i get the idea but it's because one is doing it for the betterment of that ape or from that gorilla and what he wants to do is take the gorilla out in the wild and then let her interpret for 
the you yeah, know the humans. I think, I think, this is what I they're think doing. What, I think what you're getting at is something where the the um, purpose of their missions is one's more noble and one's based upon money. Well, one, one's for education and advancement; the other is strictly for financial gain. That's the, exactly, what they're playing exactly. against, and that is a that's a theme in all of Crichton's stuff. Is that there's all this this corporate greed, this corporate entity hanging over. I mean, Michael Crichton even did Rising Sun, which was a Sean Connery, Wesley Snipes thing. It's all about Japanese corporations and mystery, murder, and all this stuff. And it's or is is, is that have to do with the Kaizen thing? Because I had to do yes. that at work, and fuck <laughs> whoever came up with that shit. <laughs> Fuck them in the ear. <laughs> I don't know that My it's God. exactly Kaizen, but it's uh, it's along those lines. So, but it, yeah, it, you know, I, at one of my last jobs, they handed out those freaking books uh, about Toyota. I threw that in the freaking fire. Screw that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. so the whole MacGuffin of this movie mm-hmm. is about these diamonds, and essentially that Ash from Evil Dead, he ends up going missing we get this whole scene there and i think the beginning of this is actually very well done because it it does kind of it is a little scary i mean even watching it now maybe scary is not the right words but maybe tense but when you know he's sitting out there and he hears like this like smash and later you find out like that's obviously someone getting their head smashed in these gorillas got a pretty cool way of disposing of people and oh yeah uh, he screams and the whole mission's set up basically upon this uh what we learned is later going to be kind of a false mission for Karen Ross, who actually um, is engaged or was engaged or was married to uh, Bruce Campbell. Basically, he sends her, due to her CIA background, to be able to go rescue him. Now, why she, why he sends her alone? Maybe he's cheap. I don't know. But she's got to go to the um, African Congo to be able to go track him down with a group of hired guns. So, right. I mean, that's yeah, how she, the, yeah, she hooks up with Monroe, who we'll get to in a minute. And mm-hmm. they're going to go on this expedition. And along the way, though, before we do that, we have to meet Dr. Elliot, Dylan Walsh. Now, I knew he had a career before Nip Tuck and, and some of the other things he's done since. And I happen to like Dylan Walsh. I thought he was great yeah. on that show. I've seen him in other stuff. I mean, he's a he's a fun actor. He's kind of a I don't know. He, he's a poor man's. I don't, I don't know who, who you compare him to. I mean, he's just yeah, he a, comes off. He's he a comes good every like, man, you know, he comes off like your wife's friend's husband. That's there you go. Is. Yeah. He's that other guy. He's you know what he is. He's he's a like a dime store. Kevin Spacey. That's he what is. he kind of is. Yeah. He's kind of a drip. You know, he's kind of like, you know, kind of he's kind of whiny, but he plays it in every character. I mean, even when if you saw him in Nip Tuck, a show that I find vastly underrated, I love that show. Um even on that show, he kind of played the kind of the buzzkill guy to uh, Christian Troy. I think it was the other character yes. in the show, his character. So, but he plays the same thing here, where he's just a complete buzzkill the entire time, very just whiny and everything. And I guess like his entire, you know, point of being here is that he taught Amy the talking gorilla, <laughs> <laughs> you know, basically sign language and they're going to return her to the jungle because they want her to be able to teach these other mountain gorillas sign language as well. So people can communicate with them in the future. You know, hopefully this is something that's passed down and they're taught like, you know, language and they can talk with humans and, you know, we can, you know, not, you know, just learn stuff more about their cult, you know, their, their ape like societies and everything like that. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's based on fact that, you know, you can teach gorillas sign language the fact that they've come up with something that's not even something we can even come up with now. I mean, now we're looking, what, 20 years later with this essentially Nintendo Power Glove and how it can actually yes. 
vocalize the signals with the hand is, oh man, I guess when I was a kid, I didn't think much of it, but even now I'm like, dude, if you guys came up with that, you guys would be freaking billionaires. You know what I mean? That exactly. Would, yep. Screw apes. Screw the- apes. I mean, that would transform, you know, disabilities with uh, people all over the world who can't speak, yeah. you know, who have to use sign language. I'm like, screw it. it gorillas, man. I'm like, there's there's schools around the country that would, you know, pay, universities that pay millions of dollars at this technology. See, that's what I'm wondering. Like, there's this, he's tied to a university, so they would be getting corporate funding somewhere. But that kind of happens because then we get Tim Curry as Homolka. Oh I, God, I love yeah. I, I love him in this movie, man. <laughs> I don't care what you say. He is he knows the type of movie this is. Oh, and clearly, he's just playing it so. Look, t- he, he's he. I'm going to use this word, and this is the only time I'm ever going to use this word ever. He's delicious in this movie. It's is, <laughs> is just fantastic. I want to say this about Tim Curry. Tim Curry is, can be an acquired taste. In the wrong thing, he can be too much, and it just doesn't work. But in the right thing, he know when he dials it in, he can be perfect. Pennywise and it. Uh, this role, I agree. He knows he, he needs to be a huge ham, and he is one. Uh, you know, he reminds Turner, me of you know? he reminds me of Billy Zane in Titanic. The fact <laughs> that like he's the only one on screen that understands the movie that he's in. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. That's an underrated performance, by the way. Billy Zane was really good in that movie, so and perfect for what that was. This guy is so cheesy, and I I remember sitting, you know, folded arms, eighteen years old, watching this, going like, "This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen," you know. And now watching it again, I go, "Yeah, he's clearly in on the joke." I also will say, Dylan Walsh and Laura Linney seem to be in on it too. There's a scene later where they're all sleeping in the jungle, and there's you know monkeys mating in the background and they start doing monkey voices back at each other. And that almost feels improv. Like they just started screwing around. Like, yeah, we know this is a horrible piece of shit. Who cares? And and they they get, clearly got paid good for it. And you know they, everybody made a lot of money on it, so they didn't care. This guy though, this Homka guy, is hilarious because he's supposed to be this you billionaire philanthropist, but really all he is is a broke treasure hunter who's just getting by on his wits and. He he forms the other part of the search party here, and they all end up meeting at the airport. And for, through some, I don't know, confluence of problems, they end up on the same plane together. Because I think the CIA lady says, "No, this is you're going to go with us in this plane." Or I know I know what it is. It's that's the cover story. Is we're going to get your gorilla back to the you know the region she's from. And that's the cover story for him to go on this treasure hunt. Yeah, I mean, I guess now that we're kind of speaking about this out loud, that was kind of one of the things that kind of was confusing to me, but I guess makes a little bit more sense now was why did she have to, you know, manipulate her way onto the plane? And now I see, okay, well, they're probably trying to cover up that this expedition went bad and they're trying to do this secretly so they don't want to make a big thing about it because this is like AT&T technically. And it's like yeah. if an expedition went bad for AT&T with people getting disappeared in the jungle, it'd probably make, you know, it'd be on CNN. So bad publicity. And, but the whole the whole setup for it is that Tim Curry's character. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that name. I was going to call him Tim Curry. Um, his finances don't come through. Is like he was supposed to be paying money, whether it was something where he he wrote a check and they hoped they didn't try to cash it till he was in the midair, something like that. But basically, the money wasn't going through, and they were going to cancel the expedition. But she came through with her, you know, unlimited, you know. American Express black card here and was able to finance, you know, be able to be like, you need me, you need me to be able to pay for this. And, you know, then they're off to Africa. And 
And this is why Every- I know something that somewhere in the books, Travelcom is just a subsidiary of Wayne Enterprises. That's that's how we know we now know this. So it's because of that unlimited funding. Later on, she pulls out tons of cash to give to Delroy Lindo in a hilarious cameo as a African warlord. That, but, that's why you know you skipped over all that in the middle. Yeah, all this stuff in Africa is just great. Well, it I skipped is. over in the plot summary because there's more to talk about here. Because you know, let's let's get into it. When they're flying to Africa, well, first off, I, I got to ask you about Ernie Hudson. You know the the hunter. He's great. He's, he's great in this as well. He, he knows is the type of movie he is, and he is. Yeah, he is great. I love the accent, like the. Uh, I was, what the, is that accent? It's supposed to be British. It's supposed to be British. And from the little tidbits that I have read about the book, it wasn't supposed to be a you know, Afri- British African or a, a black British born guy in Africa. It wasn't supposed to be like that. It was actually like a white uh, English game hunter. Think of like the. Uh, the guy from Jumanji or something like that. I, actually, I'll think to, I'll think about the guy that was hunting the raptors in Jurassic Park. That guy. yeah, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Where he was like a British big game hunter, and but but they switched it around for this, and I think it works great. I, I love Ernie Hudson. I love Ernie Hudson. He's a great actor, very underrated. We don't get enough of him, and uh, he's. I, I'll say this: his best performance is in a movie called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. If you've ever seen that, that's a great thriller, by the way, with Rebecca De Mornay and I. I Annabella Scori's in that. Never so. seen it. Never seen it. Ah, it's a good one, and he's really good in it, playing a like a mentally challenged sort of guy that works in the town and stuff. But he's still this Hulk of a man. That's the thing about Ernie Hudson is he is freaking huge. I mean, he's probably six five, maybe two hundred and sixty pounds. Looks like a linebacker compared to all these other people, especially Hollywood people, because none of these people are tall. And I mean, yeah. he is massive. I guess if he and Bruce Campbell had had a scene together, that would have been interesting because Bruce is a big guy. But I mean, he. And so that's why you buy him. But th- that accent is so terrible. I mean, it slips in and out constantly. But you know what? I found myself not caring because I thought Kelly was so fun. He was so fun because he was never out of control. Even when, like, gray gorillas are flying at him, he's just, like, picking them off. Like, it's no problem. Yeah. I I love that guy. Yeah, he's great. And then, I mean, I even love the way he has, like, the slim cigars he's always smoking. <laughs> yeah, and he shares one with a. We've got to talk about this. He gives Amy a cigar on the plane while she's drinking a freaking martini. <laughs> All right? Explain to me why a gorilla would even want a martini. I don't know. I, I love martinis. I'm actually drinking one right now. But you are not a gorilla. <laughs> uh, ask my wife. Uh, that's, that, 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 that's a constantly hotly debated uh, argument we have in the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's explained as this helps calm her down. I'm like, you can't give her a Xanax or a Valium. You know, or something. It's it's funny. Well, come on, man. With the, with the cost yep. of prescription drugs, it's probably cheaper just to give her a good good glass of uh, you know vodka with a little vermouth <laughs> and a little bit of olive juice in there. A little so. little low shelf, you know. Get her some of that stuff. I doubt she's she's gray goosing it at that point. But uh, you know, who knows though? You know, they maybe, apparently maybe, maybe she's an original martini fan there, and she likes her gin martinis. You know, maybe something yeah. like beef eater or something. Yeah, maybe she wants some Bombay. You know, who knows? Or she's got the Tangeray. Who knows? So. <laughs> But, uh, no, uh, we do need to talk about the Amy suit, though, because at no time is this a real gorilla. I kept having flashbacks to 1983's Trading Places, which is a fantastic movie, by the way. Still holds up to this day. Even the economics in it still work to this day. The jokes are funny. But the gorillas in those movies look just about as believable as this one. This is, this is bad, right? We can say this creature is really, really lame looking. 
She is. And I, you got to say this about all the gorillas in this movie. I mean, I'm a big gorilla fan. I guess you could say that's actually, it's my favorite animal. It's, I, I think they're spectacular. And Every gorilla in this movie looks bad, especially like later in the movie when we come up to the big giant, you know, silverback gorilla, and it doesn't look like a silverback gorilla at, at all. Yeah, it's like they they spray painted it white. She, but she looks so big and cuddly, and I know that's the point or whatever. But it yeah. takes me out of the movie because even the actors that are doing this clearly don't really know how to. Either the suit's too constrictive or something. They don't. They don't get it. You got, you got, you got to imagine when they showed her the suit. They, they showed everybody the suit, and they probably went back to their trailers. Like, you got to be kidding me! <laughs> I think they would have been saying that reading the script anyway. This blue diamonds are now. We we're, we're doing telecommunications with diamonds, and there's sign language, power gloves, and what the hell accent is that Tim Curry's doing? And I don't know how did that. I'm calling my agent. And I'm like, how many zeros are in that check again? It's cleared, right? We're good. Okay, you know that's the only way you can. Get, continue on because it looks bad and it takes me out of the movie i will say that now the amy part is well nominated as a rashy because it's a horrible performance but people that don't know what they're doing and i can go for like animal a person is an animal performance andy circus was a fantastic performance when they did that peter jackson king kong epic which is a way too long movie and completely sappy and sentimental but he's great as that he's he's maybe the only actor in modern era that really understands how to be a creature these people look like they could barely move in the suit i don't know if they're moms or what but they are awful yeah but you know what i can't blame them because that suits that bad and it's probably pretty hard to move around with it, it looked too, cheap. like it did look cheap and even when she's drinking the martini is like boy i mean God, that poor guy in the suit, because you know they're just pouring water down in that suit. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the people that played it. There were two different ones, and I, I feel for them because I'm sure it wasn't easy to do, but it's a bad performance. They land in Africa, and essentially that's when they run into Ernie Hudson's character, and they run into Joey Pants, who's some type of liaison uh, who helps out. I don't know who he knows or what he is, but anyways, he's helping them <laughs> get from airport A to airport B because apparently there's some type of internal – I mean, I guess it's true to life is that Africa's always in these, – these countries in Africa are always in constant civil war and yeah. essentially the president's limo gets blown up in the airport and they got to get him out of there to get him onto another airplane and – yeah, not not, trans- but by the way, not the president, the Congo's president. Let's be yeah, clear. yeah, it's yeah. some. There's there's fifty presidents in every country there. So, um, but as they're they're going from another airport to the other airport, is that's when they get picked up by I believe it's some type of uh, inserper there or whatever, and they they get brought in on front of the guy with the sesame cake. I yeah, forget let, his actor's name. I, I've De- seen Delroy so Lindo. Movies. Delroy Lindo. He's hard to forget. I want to talk about Joey Pants for a minute, though. Let's go back on Joe Pantoliano, okay? He's in this one scene where he's driving the Jeep, right? And he's doing his usual thing. And I'm like, did they, like, were they next door to the fugitive set? And he just didn't have anything to do one day. <laughs> and they were like, hey, man, you want to come over here and just drop some lines and drive a Jeep? Sure. I mean, he's in one scene. That's the problem I have with this, though. You know, no, he's, I, in, he's in two. He's in two. He's in two. What's his second scene? Because I don't remember it clearly. After they pay off the guy with the sesame cake is he shows up afterwards with a bat with a bandage on his head. And he kind of makes light saying that, yeah, he got attacked by a couple guys for driving him 
you know, in that caravan over there. And then it's the last we see of them. So yeah, <laughs> he does I mean, have again, two scenes. Yeah, but like I understand that there are government tensions in Africa. Like they talk about that. They set that up there. That's not hard to believe the fact that we take time to have all of that. You could have gone from, they were at an airport to then they, you know, they get picked up by the Delroy Lindo warlord guy. I, I would have been fine with that. Uh, this movie is purposely trying to be more dense than it really needs to be. This could have been an hour and 20 minutes and it would have been fine. I mean, it, there's 20 minutes of fluff scuffled throughout this entire thing. But now, the, the but I warlord... Wouldn't take, I wouldn't take any of it away, because I find it all so oh. hilarious, everything <laughs> in there. It is, it's funny. I mean, you're watching this, and it's like almost this middle section is almost a comedy. Especially, I, it I think it's probably... I think it's almost like a top five scene in this movie is is definitely the Sesame Sesame. Case. Oh, look, yeah, you get you got Delroy Lindo sitting there affecting a bad African accent, which only is bad as the one that he lays out in The Devil's Advocate. If you've ever seen that, he's in about three scenes of that movie too, and that's a movie with accents all over the place. We will have to do that one day because uh, Keanu Reeves is not from Florida, and I don't think he's ever been there. But anyway, and neither is Charlize Theron for that matter. But Delroy's doing his bad, you know, affected accent. And you've got Laura Lenny sitting there and Ernie Hudson and Laura Lenny keeps slipping Ernie Hudson cash and Delroy Lindo's like more and it's just stacks of hundreds upon hundreds. Meanwhile, Tim Curry's just shoving his mouth full of cake because this guy's insistent. Eat some of my cake. And then once he's been paid off, he says, stop eating my cake. No, stop eating it right now. You are a bag of sheet. You know, and they just go back and forth. And Tim Curry has to spit the cake out. I'm, I realized then what you just said a minute ago is that somewhere along the way, Frank Marshall and everyone involved realized, look, there's there's some unintentional humor here. Let's try to shoot this like a sitcom. And it comes off like a sitcom or a rom-com in the middle, like without the romance. It's all yeah. it's all set up in, in jokes and jokes. But it's a tonal it, shift because they opened up with that real tense scene and now it's just goofy. It is, but the whole movie after that scene is goofy. Everything is goofy in this movie. Oh, yeah. And that's why I just, I just love this movie so much is because – it is. Everything is just so like over the top. You know, you hit it like a sitcom. And, you know, after we get done with that and then they get on the next plane, they actually go over the border from Zaire is you get essentially um, they're them getting attacked by the uh, border patrol. I guess we could say where they're <laughs> yeah. shooting heat. You got to catch out. You got to catch this too. heat seeking missiles is what they're shooting at this plane. And in order for them to be able to evade these heat-seeking missiles is they use flare guns. Now, thank God that the missiles were being launched at the side of the airplane that has the has the door on it because if it would have been on the yeah. other side, they would have been screwed. But they're shooting flare guns, which I don't think this works. <laughs> I, yeah, as... I was going to say now, I I do not – I think the, the idea of let's try that comes off like something out of Airwolf or MacGyver, but – I think it would work about as badly too. Now, Laura Linney and, and Monroe doing, do this together. And this is when you get a little bit more of Linney as, you know, again, she's this Jane Bond. Like she could do everything. She could shoot the, 
the stuff down and then they realize, hey, we're out of flares. They're going to launch again. And they decide to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> right. Well, you got to you got to love the scene where they both are like right next to each other and they're both aiming the gun at the like arm next to each other. It's yes. so ridiculous, but it's so awesome. <laughs> well, the then, look yeah. on their faces is like we really have to play this seriously. Right. But it comes up like an SNL skit because it's so badly you know, shot. I mean, it's clearly a, a green screen behind them. And it's oh, it's terrible. It's a terrible set. Like it's like you're standing on the side shaking the set, Nick. That's the turbulence that they're experiencing. Well, this this is this is this is essentially the definition of so bad it's good. It is. I mean, it's just everything there from you know giving Amy some uh, somehow they had some gorilla Prozac. I don't know how Prozac would help calm down an ape. Maybe she'd be less depressed. But you know, <laughs> I think I think it does take you know you got to build up the Prozac in your system. It usually takes about three weeks yeah, with increased yeah. dosages. Yeah, you can't so just take I, that and be down like a Valium. Yeah, that knock you out. But yeah, you know. so it's, it's it, they should, probably should have said gorilla Valiums with or Xanax or something like that. But. Uh, they give her that, and then well, they, hell, they had already given the given her a couple of martinis. What the hell does she need? <laughs> I mean, I mean at, at this point, they should have just gave her a bottle of Grey Goose and just saw her chugging it down in the back. Of the <laughs> that would have been hilarious, by the way, if she just tipped the bottle. <laughs> that I mean, been just great. imagine something like John Belushi from Animal House just chugging down the bottle of Jack. It's like, yeah, just do that with the bottle of vodka in the back. That would have been That's funny. exactly that what they should have done. It would have been fun. It would have been a little bit more funner, but. They all jump out of the plane. The plane gets destroyed, of course, and they are now in the midst of the jungle, and they decide that the best course of action is that we are going to follow the gorilla to where she wants to go. I mean... Actually, I I, I, I I buy that. I'll buy that only because they got her from that region originally. And this whole thing is built on this idea that she's she, her instincts. We can't unlearn her instincts, even though we've taught her communication beyond anything that she's ever known. You know, whatever. She, when we get her back home, she will know where to go just by nature. You know. And you know what? I, you know what, Jay? Yeah. I've lived now in North Carolina for a little over a year. I still don't know my way around here. But so you're you not. But, but no, no, you're not. Are you from telling there, me that though. this female? Uh, no, no. Let, let me let me is, follow me here. Though. Me? Is that follow me saying? here though. Follow me here though. Okay, <laughs> I haven't lived in my hometown for 18 years almost. Okay, I can go back there tomorrow and I can take you anywhere you want to go. Still, even though they've changed a lot of it around, I know exactly where I'm going because I j it, it's in my head. I, now I've lived in the town I live in now for seven years and I still get lost. Okay, because I'm not from here. There's something true about that idea of where you're from. It's just, it's just ingrained in you. And look, it's a convenient plot device, no doubt. All right, but I can go with it because I think it it works. I mean, I I can go with it as much as anything else they're trying to shove on me here. I mean, this stuff is all bullshit anyway. Oh, I'm not I'm not saying I'm going against it. I'm totally with this movie. I'm just kind of looking. At, I'm trying to be a little bit more analytical instead of just being like, oh, awesome. They're going to follow this ape into there. I just find it funny that it's like as soon as they get over the border, it's like, yeah, they're in walking distance of this like mystical mind thing that no one else has found. Yeah. And this is when we, you know, we, you know, Kelly calls out uh, Homolka tim curry on his intentions he's like i know why you're here you're not here to return any gorilla to her hometown you're here for king solomon's on mines like everybody else and they talk about that they call it out exactly as such and i appreciated that though that let me know that kelly was the the one person here besides ross that knew exactly what everyone's intentions were 
Like he had a no, really I gotta, good. Set. I gotta ask you now: Was King Solomon's mind? Is that based on anything? I mean, I think there was it's, a movie based on King. Yeah, like it's king well, it's based on the you know the historical king of the Jews, you know uh, David's uh, son Solomon, who was is you know if you believe that is said to have been the richest, most powerful person that ever ruled over a kingdom, and he had diamond mines scattered all over the world, particularly in Africa. And he had, con- you know, at that time, the Hebrews had conquered a large amount of land. And so supposedly when, you know, Jerusalem was destroyed and all that stuff got split up, those diamond mines went in a lot of different places. And so that's that's the legend of all of it. I mean, it, part of this is based on a little bit of myth and a little bit of fact. But, I mean, the idea that he would have had diamond mines scattered even down to the Congo, I could buy it from, from Northern Africa. That makes total sense because that's where all that happens. Okay. Know, so that's, yeah, that's so what I that's just wasn't on. sure. I mean, I've, I've heard of King Solomon, obviously, but I never right. heard anything about the mines besides that movie. So, but that's 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 good to know. I just again, it's just kind of funny that they just walked into this. Place. It, it is, but we, we we meet the Congo. We meet the uh, what I love is we meet the Ghost Tribe or whatever, and like they come out and just start rapping with Ernie Hudson. You know, and they're they're making fun of him because he's you know he's a he's a black man not carrying luggage. He says, and I thought, well, okay, that's funny. You know, I mean, again, they're having a fun time here, but I'm also going like, are we ever going to get to what happened? Like, are we ever going to find out what attacked these people? Because so much else is going on that we you know we we have goofy stuff where Amy breaks the receiver and the Skype call from Laura Lenny goes bad to Joe Don Baker. So you know what was that all about? And then all the winding roads up to the lost city of mcguffinville you know i mean uh, yeah. there's there's a lot they just sort of they just trudge through the jungle for like 30 minutes here the, the, <laughs> the, the, the hip hop anonymous attack yes oh gosh <laughs> yeah that didn't really work for me either that was some bad looking uh, effect I, I wasn't really impressed but those, you know, I, I do like that they actually have uh, hippopotamuses, though, because they actually are very dangerous animals. Oh, actually, yes, they uh, are. I believe they actually, statistics show that they actually kill more people in the jungle than even, like, lions or, you know, predator animals. So Yeah, oh, I look, remember, they're, uh, they're incredibly dangerous. I wouldn't want to be around one. <laughs> so uh, you get around, the, the hungry, hungry hippo is not a, a fable. <laughs> That's for real. So, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't want to get around any of those things. So they'll crush you, man. So, uh, but... It seems like we just have to keep upping the ante, though, every time until we get well, to the big bad it's in like the King, game. They're, they're trying to make it a little bit more paced like King Kong at this point, where it's like yeah. attack after attack after attack after encounter. I mean, we even get another encounter with the apes that Amy's going to end up running off with at the end of the movie, where the uh, we brought them up earlier, the extremely fake-looking apes, where Dylan Walsh runs yeah. into the um, the big gray, you know, silverback gorilla, and he's got to stare him down and everything. And of course, you get the little the, the little funny moment of "Don't run." He goes, "Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, yeah, I." He goes, "I think I read it in a book or something." It's like, well, dude, you're an ape expert. I hope you. Yeah, don't know. I, I would hope you wrote the book on it. I mean, at this point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, lo- I love at their at their ruined camp shelter though that Laura Linney sets up guns like they had in Aliens. You know, and they're about as effective. So, yeah, mean, definitely. You know. But it, but we, as as they continue on in their journey, then they see another airplane gets shot down, and of course that airplane happens to crash land on their you know journey there. It's right on the path, and um, it kind of sets up the whole end of the movie where everything's destroyed except for a giant balloon. 
So right, yeah, yeah. It can, the balloon of convenience, I called that. But so we'll we'll come back there because there's lots to happen before then. So when I mean, we get an attack with the gray gorilla, and we we look around this ruined city, right? And there's all these hieroglyphs that say that the people taught the gray gorillas, uh, because and they were gray because of the volcanic environment. But they taught them to guard the mine and kill anyone that approached it. Yeah, yeah, and, they they essentially they bred gorillas like how we breed dogs. You know, they I basically guess, yeah. took these gorillas and transformed them into these like vicious, uh, you know, killer junkyard uh, gorillas to basically. Well, they're they're the bloodthirsty. Mines. I mean, every one of these things has like a, looks like a gray skull face, you know, and they're they're got rancid teeth and they're always clawing and blood's dripping off of them. I mean, they're really over the top like this is and this is the problem is that this movie started out with this little serious premise and then it became really funny and hilarious and then they tried to turn the switch again and the problem is is once you turn on the funny switch you can't turn it back off like that that doesn't work now because the suits are just (laughs) as bad and so now it's like if they had killed the gorillas by some unintentional hilarity instead of what they do it might have worked better (laughs) but like if amy had shorted out her power glove and started shocking everybody like when cartman's chip malfunctions and he electrocutes people or something that would have been funnier than laura lenny gets a laser gun with a diamond in it (laughs) but when they when they first get to the city i mean you got them where they're exploring the insides and then dylan walsh walsh's assistant uh I've seen this guy somewhere before, but um. Oh, Grant Hesloff, he, he's been in the he, lots of it. He he was the other agent, uh, aside Tom Arnold and um Schwarzenegger in True Lies. Oh, that's a movie. I actually, yeah, that's a movie I got to revisit. Yeah, that's probably where I've seen him before. Yeah, but um, he ends up getting attacked by the gorillas, and he ends up getting a brain thrown at him, which is just freaking hilarious. I mean, yeah, that, they're like a Jello mold coming at him, dude. That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was and then like, he, uh, and then he happens just to die. I guess we should just take it. He died as a heart attack because he yeah, was he a really over. stringy guy. I mean, the entire time where he was just always complaining and always freaking out about stuff. And then like the, the worst a brain at him. The, the guy is like the classic academic that's never actually been in the field. He's supposed to be an expert in. Unlike, you know, maybe Dylan Walsh, who's actually been in the jungle, but will admit, hey, I'm not, I'm not James Bond. You know, but yeah, I can. He, he's a more annoying Hudson is essentially what he is. <laughs> yeah, but well, I mean, like Hudson at least could handle himself. <laughs> this guy's useless. I mean, it, it's like the, you know what he is? He's the lawyer in Jurassic Park that had no business in the park. That's what exactly. he is. And so exactly. that, that's what he feels like, at least. I don't know that's how his character is in the book but that's really how it feels so but after the attack we get to the scene that you're talking about with the um alien machine guns and uh (laughs) i i I actually i like that scene though i think that's pretty cool and when i go camping man do i wish i had that set up that is (laughs) that 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 is a badass setup of what they had there they got laser grids going around you know submachine guns that are motion censored on there they got computer screens that do infrared I mean that that is that is an awesome setup, and I thought them having like little AC um, containers there to keep their tents cool was high tech. That is freaking awesome, and I I actually you know what again I like that scene a lot. I think just even you know taking out the whole it's bad it's so bad it's good. I actually think it's actually a pretty effective scene, and one that I like where you, and it's it's a tense scene again. They're they're trying to you know go against what they were doing in the middle of the movie by making it a light you know you know, comedy in a way and like trying to ump the tension. And I actually just being serious, I actually really like that scene a lot. 
I think the tech is neat, but it brings up a huge question I have. And I don't know that we're ever satisfactorily answering this in this movie is why would a telecommunications company have this kind of gear? Now, she's an ex-CIA person. You don't get to keep your spy gear. <laughs> All right. You, it's not like she walked through the warehouse and said, I'll take one of those and two of those. I mean, why would they have all this? I needed the drop line from from Joe Don Baker or something talking about this big secret military contract he had under the table. And that's what was really funding all of this. I would have t- that would have sold me on all of it. I'm like, yes, fine. Or, Somebody or, gave him or, stuff. Or maybe a drop line where it's like, yeah, I'm ex-CIA. Doesn't mean I lost my contacts, you know, where she might be able to. Guess. That's what I took it as where she's probably got a lot of people in the, you know, within the arms industry that she's still you know, probably sends Christmas cards to, and maybe she swung know, maybe, through Mexico and saw Linda Hamilton and said, "Hey, can I borrow some of your stash?" You know, before judging. Yeah, but, 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 but again, we're, we're talking talking gorillas, all this other stuff. So you got to give the movie that. And I, I think again, I, I like the scene a lot. I think it's pretty cool. It's cool, but again, it, in my head, I start going, "But wait a minute, that doesn't." And that's when you have to start slapping yourself and there's go, a no, marti- just, "There's a know. martini drinking ape." Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's we, when I need we, a martini, we, we so can I can just go that. with it. And I, I do not <laughs> doubt that AT and T can get you know automated machine guns. They can get them right now, so I'm not doubting it at all. Have you ever been late on your payment, Jay? Have you ever? <laughs> no, okay. no, I I've left I, them I, a long I've time been ago. Late on my payments before. I've been threatened. <laughs> with machine guns by AT&T. So I'm just going to give it to them. We'd just like to let everybody know they are not a sponsor of this podcast. Uh, so, and anyway, I'm be getting a phone call. You are, yes. This is why I am with my cell company. But at any rate, so the pack of gorillas appear the next day. Now, this is where Holmka starts to collect these large diamonds. And you knew this guy was going to die. I was like, yes, clearly Tim Curry is set up to be ripped to shreds. All right. And I was so disappointed that, we didn't get to see more of it. And I know, I know this movie's not supposed to be this hard R, you know, thing or whatever, but I really wanted his death to be gruesome. I mean, why that, uh, he's a character that's built to die. Why can't that be? I want to see Jason well, rip his head his, off. He you got know? his head crushed in. I mean, that's a pretty awful way to go. I, I know, mean, sitting but there it, looking face in face with the gorilla and the thing's just like Mark Henry power slams its fist down <laughs> onto his head. <laughs> And, you know, there's, like, nothing left. I mean, that is, like, what we've learned about these gorillas is that that's how they take out people is, like, they just put you on the ground and they just slam their fists into your head. And I think that's it's kind of a cool way to go. I mean, Christ, I mean, WWE needs to take a little bit of uh, initiative. And fi- have, well, have some w- of the WWE is now – WWE's now rated PG instead of PG-13. This is PG-13. This is the, you know, and I'm one of those people that I will give a PG-13 horror a chance. And I've liked a, a good number of them through the years that people rail on or whatever. But in this movie, I thought, no, the violence needed to be up. There needed to be something gory here. Because that, that's what you, I, I wanted to see him, I wanted to see him quartered, basically. I thought, this guy needed to be ripped limb from limb. That's his appropriate death. <laughs> I suppose. But anyway, is this whole big act, this big climactic scene here. And of course we have to have to have, you know, we, we forgot to mention that there is a ticking clock going on during this entire thing that the whole basis upon this uh, mission being completed fast is the fact that it's on top of an active volcano. Yeah. That's about to erupt. Uh, Yeah. Of course, of course that it's going to erupt during this time. So they're within these diamond mines, which is, I guess is at the base of this volcano and as these gorillas are attacking them, which again, um, why did they go try to find Tim Curry's character? 
but I, I guess they wanted to rescue him. I don't know. I was wondering the same thing. I mean, at that point, they had all realized what a sleaze bag he was. I don't know why they left him to die, but I think well, Amy went too, after him they, too. You know? they, they they brought up all this stuff during the movie about how many of these guys, like within their group, just kept on like taking off. That they were just like, screw this, we're out of there. But like Tim Curry takes off, and they got to go find him. I guess. I don't know. Is this some type of a uh, comment on race relations here? I Ooh, and I, I don't think they were going there, but yeah. <laughs> it's like they got to go find the rich white guy, but all the, uh, the, but he's actually not rich. That's guys, the thing. They don't, they, they don't care about them, but they, they try to go in this whole thing that they try to go find him. And then all this, you know, all the gorillas start attacking them and they take out all the other guys and all that's left in the end is, uh, we got the female, we got Dylan Walsh, and then we got uh, Ernie Hudson left. And, and Amy, uh, don't forget Amy, you know, because well, she rescued. Coming up because, yeah, she they, rescues they Dylan Walsh. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're they're cornered in the back there, and that's when the, they find out that Bruce Campbell's character is dead. Yes, and they um, are cornered in there, and Dylan Walsh then is grabbed by the gorilla, and they're all surrounding him. And then of course Amy shows up, and they start going. She starts, she jumps in, and she's like. Ugly Jay, go away. Ugly Jay, go away. <laughs> Peter, hug Amy. Peter, love Amy. And what I hug, what I love though hug, about hug. what I love about Bruce Campbell's dead character there is he's clutching this huge diamond in his hand, right? And you know what I was flashed back to? If you've ever seen Jaws three. And the end of that movie, Simon McCorkendale, spoiler alert, gets eaten by the shark, but his arm with a grenade out is How stuck in his teeth. How do you remember all these names, Jay? <laughs> because, man, Manimal was, was awesome, all right? And so was uh, whatever other show he was in that I used to watch, Dynasty, I forget. But anyway, his arm is stuck in the shark's teeth, and it's a, the grenade of convenience that Dennis Quaid's able to pull the pin from. <laughs> and I thought, that's the same thing. They took the Jaws 3 now, ending. Now, is it bad, though, that I'm giving this movie just so many conceits yes but i find the fact that it's a he's holding a rock that <laughs> has a diamond in it she's able to just slam it down break the rock off of this diamond perfectly and the diamond is the perfect size for this laser gun that she's been carrying around unannounced that she happens to put it in there, and I guess it is some type of conductor. I guess it doesn't work without this specific diamond. But she puts it in there, and in order to save Dylan Walsh, Ernie Hudson, Amy the Gorilla, she activates this thing, and it's like this ultimate laser weapon. It's like something out of, like, Doom the video game where it's like – it's 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 a BFG basically. And exactly. Like, she, like, she calls zap. it the latest in telecommunications. <laughs> yeah, ha 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 ha, hilarious. And she um just zapping these gorillas, and it, you know it's it's just, it's cool, but it's just kind of like oh boy. I mean, they got the ultimate weapon here, and she's just mowing down these gorillas, just zapping them in half and everything. And of course, right when this happens, the volcano erupts, and we got liquid okay. hot magma coming Wh out. Okay, <laughs> worst magma ever and that includes the bad Anne hash tommy lee jones volcano movie <laughs> this is the which worst. Which, which i like by the way <laughs> well it's it, that's a good cheesy guilty pleasure but this is bad first off the slicing of the gorillas in half is awful and then that i and i mean at least she plays it off with a joke that's the only thing I can salvage this with, because if she had stood up and ramboed them all down, I would have been like, no way. You know? <laughs> but, but, so. but, but, but basically, they're able to get out of there before all the lava gets in there, and then the gorillas start pushing each other into there, which is actually pretty funny, because they're 
these these things are just like, oh, we're going to start jumping in, and they all end up getting burned up, and then well, one of them does a cannonball into it. For goodness' sake, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. But uh, we get the essentially like the Halo ending, or whether you know, if you ever play the game Halo, it's like almost yeah. every game ends with like the station collapsing and you like trying to get out of that. And it's the same thing with these people. It's like the mountains, you know, collapsing in on itself, and elevations are falling and rising, and they are all, you know, trying to jump over these things. Amy saves Dylan Walsh from falling down into it. And they get, I guess, they're able to outrun lava, I guess, which is, <laughs> which is amazing. It's amazing. And, what, what, and, do you uh, wish the people in Pompeii had that skill, you know? So yeah, Jon Snow would be things. alive right now. So. We'd know things, yes. But as we know, Jon Snow knows nothing. So therefore, he is dead. <laughs> he knows nothing about hot air balloons. So they end up... Uh, Getting back to like a, I guess a safe terrain, or and then, I guess they were carrying that balloon with them. I mean, I, yeah, it takes a lot to be able to pump that thing up. I mean, so yeah, you don't just whip it out, you know. Yeah, so they're able to you know set up the baskets, set up everything, start doing it. And why the hell do they have a balloon on the plane? I don't know, but um, they get it up, and then of course uh, the gorillas, the gorillas that we encountered earlier in the movie, come to like investigate what they're doing and. That's when Dylan Walsh realizes that if you truly love something, you must let it go. So he yes. lets Amy go with these gorillas and, you know, she says goodbye and they end up take um, taking off. But before they end up taking off, and this is like the biggest like WTF moment of the movie, is she's communicating is uh, Ellen Ross is communicating back with um the dude from son-in-law and, uh, <laughs> not not the she, dude from son-in-law <laughs> every dude's a guy we're gonna i'm gonna bring this movie up every podcast because i know it annoys you um <laughs> no no i'm just talking, i i haven't had your george lucas reference yet i've been waiting on that oh god i i, I like the force awakens so i george lucas is dead to me now so um <laughs> um all is forgiven um she talks back to this guy and she finds out that eventually, you know, essentially that the whole mission there was for her to get these diamonds, which she only brought back one and not to save the sun. And in order to get back at him, she sets the laser up on some type of tripod, puts in the coordinates for the satellite dish, and she blows that up in outer space. What type of criminal charges is she going to be in for when she gets back home? astronomical amounts of money I mean, just went away into a one blast. It's a, I cannot imagine the billions of dollars that she just, you know, sent hurling down into the atmosphere. I mean, that's gotta be some type of like terrorist charge. That's going to be happening with her for blowing up a telecommunications satellite. I mean, like everybody's space. phones in Chicago just stopped working one day. I mean, that that's what happened there. She completely wiped out an entire network. Like that would be catastrophic. It's, oh my God. I just watched that now. And I guess it's just like with like knowledge of being an adult. And it's like, oh, you better not be going back to the United States. You better be going to like, Amsterdam or something right maybe now. Maybe she's going to go eat some more of Delroy Lindo's sesame cake. You know, who knows? It's got to be something. But anyway, she blows up the satellite dish and then they uh, take off in the hot air balloon, Ernie Hudson, Dylan Walsh and her. And basically the whole thing is like, oh, where are we going to go? Well, hopefully someplace safe. And I'm thinking, I'm like, you guys are going to get rockets launched at you in about 30 seconds. 
<laughs> yeah, that's not going to last long. That's going to be a short trip because now you don't have any flares to shoot. Yeah, at. you got no flare guns, sweetheart. You guys are screwed. <laughs> but Big that's time. how the movie ends. I mean, we get uh, Amy watching them disappear over the horizon. We get the, uh, of course, um, what was that band like? Uh, what was that band in the '90s that was real popular? Um, Enigma. Is that what it was called? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With like, it, it was basically like the massage parlor parlor music, <laughs> where it's like take like Indian and like African music and turn it into like contemporary uh, music, and you get that music playing over the background as they disappear off into the horizon, and credits roll on this movie. Yeah, well, look, it's it. She, Laura Lenny does get an award for the greatest take this job and shove it moment of the nineties because that's that's pretty well you've you've ruined a lot of people's lives now with that satellite destruction. But so I guess uh, my question for you, Nick, uh, as we head into final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings here is, uh, you know, how uh, how you know many martinis is Congo really worth to you? Oh, it's oh my God, it's like. The most expensive bottle of vodka with some really good blue cheese stuffed olives in there, man. I just, I watch this movie probably twice a year. It's a great movie to watch when you're homesick from work or just, you know, playing hooky. Um, I love this movie. I really do. <laughs> and it's, I, I love it for all the wrong reasons. I mean, this is essentially the girl that you meet when you're 21 years old at the bar and it's the girl you never take home to mom. I mean, this <laughs> It, it's a it Kardashian. Is, it, is. <laughs> it is. It is. It's like, you know, like you're going to go on some crazy dates, have some crazy nights. But, you know, when your mom's asking about if you want, if you're going to meet this girl, you're like, nah, you, you don't want to see her because you're going to you're going to be calling me up the next day going, are you serious? So, I mean, that's what this movie is. And, you know, if they get into my rating on it, I give this one a large popcorn. I do. It's just it's fun. It is fun. It is so watchable. I'm not going to deny that it's a very bad movie. It is bad in every regard when you're looking at like what's supposed to be a good movie, but it just transcends badness into just, I'm going to say it again, just being delicious. This movie is, it's just beginning to end just how the tones change and it doesn't make any sense. The character motivations don't make any sense. The special effects go from being pretty good to just being terrible it's just all over the place, but I have so much fun with it. It's just, it's a solid, large popcorn. It's a movie that you got to know it's so bad. It's good, but it's a movie that you're just going to watch and you're just going to be able to laugh at it and have a good time. And in the end, you're not going to sit there and go, man, I just wasted an hour and 40 minutes of my time. You're going to go, you know what? It's like a good, it's like, it's like a, you like going to Burger King and getting like a triple bacon baconator or something like that. It's like, yeah, this was really bad for me, but you know what? I enjoyed my time. So large popcorn for me. Wow. Uh, I cannot join you in that large bucket of popcorn. I will say this is a fun, bad movie if you're into like, you know, bad movies, but it's definitely not something to be watched alone. I think this would be much better with a group of people where you're sitting around and you got, you know, something else out and you're, you got this on and you can have fun, put it on in the background, you know, and, and laugh at it. I think it's meant to be laughed at in a lot of ways because it's completely preposterous in almost every way. The things that save it are Tim Curry's is awful and fun and being awful and Ernie Hudson and Dylan Walsh and Laura Linney aren't terrible in it. The, the ape is terrible, but everything else is, is pretty fun. It's thin and it's 
cheesy as all get out, but it's passable. It's definitely not the worst thing I've ever seen, uh, but it's not one I think I would visit a lot. I'll give it a medium popcorn on the strength of, again, like I said in the beginning, if you watch the first 20 minutes of it and then you just sort of ignored everything else, yeah, you're going to miss some stuff, but if you watch the tail end of it, you'll be satisfied enough to realize, well, I got it. You don't have to put a lot of brain into this one to enjoy it. So it's a medium popcorn, but it's not a bad one. It's, it's one to visit if you're looking for a good, bad movie and if you want to see book adaptations gone awry i mean that could be a, its own retrospective in some ways but it it was fun to talk about here as we go into our next chapter of this and i think we've we've nailed it i mean you know we talked about we wanted to do sphere but that doesn't really fit the the mold here and plus it's two crichtons in a row i think we got to go twister next nick i think it's time to go do some tornadoes with helen hunt and bill paxton out in the the great midwest Oh my God! It's like when you watch when you watch Congo and you watch Twister. I mean, these movies are make a great double feature. But we'll get more into Twister when we when we review that. Indeed, I, I bet there's probably a pack at Walmart that's got these together. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go find it because I haven't seen Twister since it came out. I, it's, gonna, it's it's gonna be like one of those weird like four packs where it's gonna have like Sphere, Congo, Twister, and then like almost maybe or something like that <laughs> no it'll have son-in-law as the other one that'll be the fourth piece can we please do son-in-law <laughs> we'll have to find a way to work that one in somewhere along the way down the line but as you can tell folks we do a lot of variety here on film strip you can find all of it on our website continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies and see all of our past retrospectives i mean we've got critters the whole alien series yes including aliens versus predator and those those things. are like three hour <laughs> podcasts complete dissection yes. of those movies so really check those out and we even did lord of the rings too didn't we no, we didn't do Lord of the Rings. Uh, oh, we, we didn't do Lord of the Rings. No, we did Harry Potter, though. Anna and I did back in the day. So that's all there. You've got the Batman series. You've got Superman there. You've also got a lot of horror series. And we've done Halloween. We've done Hellraiser. Like I said, Critters before. Terror Vision. Terror Vision. Yeah, Hellraiser. Yeah. How can we forget Hellraiser 4 Bloodline? And I mean, you know, because so, if you've ever seen it, you, I promise you, you never will. And so we've done a lot of different stuff there. And the entire Star Wars series. You want to hear people dissecting something kurt and i really dissected those seven films and you can get all of those for free at our website of course download us on itunes leave us a review if you like the show we really appreciate it catch up with us on social media let us know what you think and we always appreciate your support till next time for nick i'm jay thanks for listening to filmstrip thank you for listening to filmstrip you can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Film Strip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.